One day, God told the prophet Samuel that it was time for a new king and sent him to the house of a man named Jesse. Jesse had seven sons and brought out each of them to meet Samuel. Samuel told Jesse that David, his youngest son, would be the future king of Israel. Shortly after this, an army of the Philistines, Israel's enemy, set up camp on a hill right across the valley from Israel's army. For 40 days in a row, a gigantic Philistine warrior named Goliath would walk down to the valley and mock the Israelites. But one day when David was visiting the army camp, he heard Goliath taunting the Israelites and asked why no one was willing to fight Goliath. After getting King Saul's permission, David went down into the valley and shouted to Goliath, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Goliath and David charged toward one another. David pulled out a stone, put it in a sling, and flung it at the giant. The stone struck Goliath directly in the forehead, and then David killed him with Goliath's own sword. This victory caused David to become so loved and respected that King Saul became very jealous. Saul tried to kill David, but David escaped into the desert. One day, Saul was in a cave and David snuck up on him. But David could not bring himself to kill Saul. When Saul realized what had happened, he made a peace treaty with David, promising he would not kill him. But not long after, Saul became jealous and tried to kill David again. The Philistines attacked the Israelites and killed all three of Saul's sons. When Saul heard the news, he was so upset that he took out his own sword, fell on it, and killed himself. Then, David was named King of Israel. He made plans to build a giant building called a temple as a place to worship God. God said a temple would eventually be built, but by one of David's sons. One of David's descendants would become a king unlike any before, one whose rule would never end. How many of you are dreamers? How many of you tend to have those vivid dreams as you sleep at night? Yeah, I, I'm with you. I tend to have some, some very vivid dreams during the night. There, there are times where I'll be thrashing around in bed and, and Liz will wake me up and ask, what were you dreaming about? I'll tell her I was chasing the bad guys or I was playing basketball or, or something like that. Recently I had a dream about golf. Some of you know I kind of like to play golf. In my dream, I was playing golf with a couple of my friends when a storm rolled in. But we ignored the course marshal's warnings to get off the course, and we continued playing. You know, when you're playing well, you don't just leave the course. You don't just walk off because of something silly like a storm. Well, in our dream, all three of us get struck by lightning. We end up at the pearly gates of heaven, and we ask Peter, is there golf in heaven? Peter assures us that there's incredible golf in heaven. In fact, he leads us to this incredible golf course. It's magnificent. It's, it's incredible. It's, it's Pebble Beach. It's Augusta National. It's Riviera, Nash, uh, Riviera Country Club, all rolled in one 
times a thousand. He takes us to the first T so that we can play around, but before he leaves us there, he warns us. He says there's one rule on this course, and this is it. Don't hit a duck. Well, we play that round of golf, and it's amazing. It's so much fun that we decide we're going to play golf every day. And for two weeks, we play just glorious round after glorious round until at the end of the two weeks, one of my friends hits a duck. Immediately, out of nowhere, Peter arrives with what I'll call a not-so-gorgeous woman. He walks up to my friend and says, you're the one that hit the duck. And he handcuffs the woman to my friend and leads them away to live that way for all of eternity. But my other friend and I continue to play golf. Two more weeks of glorious golf until this friend hits a duck. Again, just as before, Peter shows up with an ungorgeous woman, handcuffs her to my friend, leads them away to live that way for all of eternity. But I keep playing. Another month of just incredible golf. But then Peter shows up with an incredibly gorgeous woman. In fact, it's my wife. It's, it's Liz, although in my dream I, I didn't know who she was. And he walks up to me and he, he handcuffs her to me and, and I can't believe my good fortune. I say, what did I do to deserve this? Liz turns to me and says, I hit a duck. <laughs> I hit a duck. Now you know how a guy like me ends up with a gorgeous wife like Liz. You know, it's a funny story, but it reveals a sad truth. So many in this world judged by the outside, judged by the externals, by how people look on the outside. Thankfully, God is not like that. God doesn't judge based on the outside. God looks at the heart. And he wants his people to resist that temptation to judge others by the outside. We're going to see this this morning as we look at the calling of Israel's king, King David. You know, if you're visiting with us this morning, I want to welcome you. We are so glad that you're here. I hope that you have experienced the hospitality of the Crosspoint family already. But more than that, I, I hope you've experienced the presence of our Lord here in our midst. You're joining us in the midst of a journey that we're on. It's a, a journey through the story as we are tracing God's story with his people. Last week we saw Israel's first king, King Saul. We saw that the nation of Israel wanted to have a king so that they could be like the other nations around them. And God allowed this, and the people chose Saul. Scripture tells us that Saul was as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. Saul looked like a king. Unfortunately for the nation of Israel, Saul didn't live his life or rule the nation according to God's guidelines. Through Saul's rule, he distorted the image of God. Instead of the nations around them seeing God as being holy and just and loving and full of grace, through Saul's leadership, they saw God as cruel, vindictive, and greedy. Now, obviously, God can't allow this. And so he communicates with the prophet Samuel, it's time to find a new king. And they find a king who will share God's heart and, and God's passion. They find King David. I want us to see this scene together. So if you have your Bibles, open them up with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. It's a scene that's entitled, Samuel Anoints David. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. 
the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the leaders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to them, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. God chose David to be Israel's next king. But I think in the same way that Saul was the people's choice for king because he looked like a king, David would have been the last one that people would have chosen to be king. But God saw potential in David, saw potential in David to be king. In Psalm 78, we read, he chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people Jacob, of Israel his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands he led them. I think there are three reasons why God saw this potential in David, this potential to be king. First of all, God saw David with the potential of king because David was fully engaged for caring for his sheep. David tended the sheep out of the integrity of his heart. He loved and he cared for his father's sheep. Second thing that God saw in David was that David protected and rescued his sheep from danger. If you're doing the reading with us, you saw during the week that there were two times when wild animals attacked the flock that David was tending. Once it was a bear, another time it was a lion. What would you do if you were tending a flock when a, a lion attacked? I know what I would do. I'd say, oh well, I guess even lions need to eat, right? But not David. We are told that David attacked that he grabbed the lion by the hair and he slugged it. David killed that lion. We're told in, in Scripture that not a single sheep was lost while David was caring for the flock. What does it look like 
when a human being rescues an animal from a raging beast. I'm a city boy. I have a hard time picturing what this must have looked like. What does it look like for, for a human being to rescue a sheep from a raging beast? Well, we found a clip that I think is going to help us to understand this a little bit. So let's take a look at the screen and see what it might have been like. So that's what it looked like. You know, there's a third and most important reason why God saw the potential in David to be king. It's because David had a heart after God's own heart. He was a man after God's own heart. That's the criteria that God uses as he chooses Israel's next king. David had a, a heart after God's own heart. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? Well, it means that David cared about the same things that God cared about. And as God looked at David and, and said, if he's willing to go to such great lengths, if he's willing to do all of this just, just to save a smelly sheep, what would he do to save my people? What would he do to guard my people? God says, that's the kind of person that I want to be Israel's next king. That's the kind of person that Israel needs as its next king. You know, there's a recurring theme throughout Scripture. We are in week 11 of the story, and we've seen this several times already. Where over and over again, God sees potential that he's placed in people that no one else sees. We saw this in Abraham. We saw this in Moses. We saw this in Gideon. Where over and over again, God chooses the person that everybody else would say they're least likely to succeed. We're going to see this perhaps most strikingly in the choosing of Jesus' disciples. Where Jesus comes to them and says, come follow me. Each one he found working a trade. Which means each one of them had been passed over by the rabbis of that day. Who told them, you don't have what it takes to be my disciple. Jesus comes to him and says, you have what it takes. Come, follow me, and I'll do great things through you. Now, many of us wonder, do we have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to be the parent that I want to be? Do I have what it takes to succeed in my career? Do I have what it takes to, to carry out that ministry that I sense God is calling me to? God stands before each of you this morning. It says, you have everything you need. With my help, you have everything you need to be all that I'm calling you to be. Together, we are going to do great things. If you hear anything this morning, please hear that. You know, God saw the potential in David, but there were many who didn't. As you read this week, you saw at least four people who didn't see this potential that God had placed into David. There's a Christian musician by the name of Ray Bolts. He wrote a song several years ago entitled Shepherd Boy. In this song, there's a line that says, where others see a shepherd boy, God may see a king, right? There are four people who didn't see the potential in David, who underestimated David. The first one was David's own father. God had told Samuel to, to go to Bethlehem, to go to Jesse's house, and that there he would show him what to do. 
And Samuel gets there and he tells Jesse why he's come and Jesse's excited. Jesse lines up his sons from oldest to youngest and Samuel stands before each one of them, starting with the oldest, and asks God, is this the one you're calling to be the next king of Israel? And God says no. He stands in front of the next one. Is this the one? God says no. God rejects all seven of Jesse's sons that stand before Samuel. And then Samuel has the thought to ask Jesse, by chance, do you have another son? Jesse says, well, yes, but he's out tending the flock. David's own father didn't even consider him for the lineup, right? And now it's not that Jesse didn't love his son. It's not that Jesse didn't love David. It's just that he didn't see a king coming out of him. He uses a word to describe David that translates as our word, runt. But David is then brought in from the fields, and he doesn't even know what's going on yet. And before he knows it, there's oil being poured over his head as he is anointed as the next king of Israel. David's about 16 years old when this happens. What would you do next? If you had just been anointed as the next king of Israel, what would you do next? I know what I'd do. I'd be trying on crowns, right? But not David. The Bible tells us David headed back into the hills to tend the flock. And in that we see the integrity of David's heart. We see the heart that God saw. The heart that God had placed in David. So David's father doesn't see a king coming out of David. The next person who underestimates David is his brother. As the story continues, we see that the nation of Israel is at war with the Philistines. And Goliath is this nine-foot giant who is the hero of the Philistine army. And he has issued this, this challenge to the Israelite army. He said, I'll fight any of you, any of you, any soldier from the Israelite army, one-on-one. -on -one, and the winner of that battle will determine the winner of the war between our nations. One-on-one, man-to-man, winner takes all. Now David's brothers are part of Israel's army who hears this challenge, but David doesn't. David is still tending the flock. But David's father, Jesse, sends him with some food to, to bring to his brothers and to the, the other commanding officers. As David enters into the battle zone, we see that he comes face to face with his brother. <coughs> so when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him. And he asked, why have you come down here? With whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. It's clear that David's brother is, is harboring some animosity towards his younger brother, right? I mean, David's been chosen as Israel's next king and he hasn't. Now, it's important for us to know that David has been anointed as Israel's next king, but he hasn't been inaugurated yet, and that's important. Even the anointing is still pretty hush-hush. But David's brother knows. He says, I know how conceited your heart is. How wrong is he? Eliab doesn't really know his brother, does he? David hasn't come to watch the battle. David has come to single-handedly win the battle, Right? The third person who underestimates David is King Saul. When David volunteers to go up against Goliath, he's brought to the king's tent. And as he's brought into Saul's presence, Saul sees that he's not much more than a boy, 16 years old at this time. Saul looks at him and says, you're not able to go up against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. 
that's what Saul sees in David. He doesn't think that he can beat Goliath in this battle. Of course, he lets him go out and fight anyway, but he doesn't think he's going to be victorious. Now, the fourth person who underestimates David is Goliath himself. David comes to him on the battlefield, and he sees he's a young boy, and he calls out, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Goliath calls David a stick. Of course, it's going to be the last time he calls him a stick because in about five minutes, David is going to drop him. We're told that Goliath advances towards David. You can almost feel the ground tremble under his massive body. Now, you're standing on the battlefield and Goliath is coming towards you. What do you do? Me? I'm running, right? But not David. The Bible tells us that David moved quickly towards the battlefield. That David was filled with confidence. He called out, let's get this on, Goliath. And with a single stone, David drops Goliath. (coughs) You know, we all need someone who's going to see God's good plan for us. Going to see the good in us. It can be just one person, right? And that changes everything. Four people underestimated David. But one person saw God's good plan for him. And that person was Jonathan. Jonathan was King Saul's son. He was next in line for the throne. And he meets David that day after he has dropped Goliath. David's been brought back to King Saul's tent, and everybody there is impressed with David. Even King Saul is impressed with David. He sees something in him. He doesn't see the same thing that God sees in him, but he sees something, enough to recruit him to help advance his own selfish interests. But Jonathan sees something special in David. We're told that Jonathan took off his robe, the robe that he's wearing, and he gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, this isn't just any robe that Jonathan has given to David. It's the royal robe. And it indicates that Jonathan believes that David will be Israel's next king and that he will not be. We all need someone Someone like Jonathan who's going to see God's good plan for us, God's good plan for our life, even when we don't see it ourselves. Now, David is 16 years old when he is anointed. And 14 years pass until he is inaugurated as king of Israel. The Bible tells us that David was a very good king. That he led Israel out of the integrity of his heart. That through David's rule, the people of the world surrounding them saw God for who he is. Holy just, loving, full of grace. The Bible tells us that the Lord blessed Israel during David's rule, that their territory expanded greatly. It's even been said that everything Israel touched during this time turned to gold. The nations surrounding were caused to ask, why does everything go well for the nation of Israel? If they look closely, if they probe deeper, they'd find this because of the God that Israel followed. And that was precisely God's plan. God wanted those nations to know that he loved them too. And that if they were to follow him, that they would be blessed as well. You know, David was a very good king, but that's not all there is to his story. As we've been seeing, as we've gone through the story, there are clues hidden in these stories that point forward to what is yet to come. We're told that David was from the tribe of Judah. That he was from the city of Bethlehem. We're told by the prophets that we'll be looking at in the weeks to come that there is one who is to come, 
One who is to come who will bring us back into relationship with God and that he will be from the tribe of Judah. That he will be specifically from the city of Bethlehem and that he will be the king of all kings. In addition to that, the the kings of the Old Testament were known as the anointed one. When David was brought before Samuel and anointed with oil, we're told that the spirit of the Lord came upon him. That as David led the nation of Israel in obedience to God's word, we're told that he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. David was the anointed one. Now in the Hebrew language, the word for anointed one is the word Messiah. David was a kind of Messiah in the lower story. And his rule pointed us to the true Messiah. The one who is yet to come. The one who will bring us back into relationship with God. We'll meet him in the New Testament. His name is Jesus. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is God incarnate. But you know, I'm also reminded that many people underestimated David. He was young. He hadn't accomplished much. We often overlook and underestimate young people. But I hope that this story will remind us, will prompt us not to underestimate the young people of Cross Point Church. You know, I'm reminded that almost every major revival in the United States begins with students. And as I look at the students of Cross Point Church, I see great potential. I see potential that's beginning to be realized. I see our young people having a passion for Christ. I see them having compassion for people. And so as I look at the young people of Cross Point Church, I am filled with excitement and anticipation. Not just for Cross Point's future, but for its present. Because God is raising up the next generation to lead. And I think that's great. Don't you? you know, there's a legend, a tradition in the Hawaiian Islands for many years. That a suitor would pay for the right to ask for his beloved's hand in marriage by bringing her father cattle. The typical price for a bride would be two or three cows. If the girl was particularly beautiful or charming, maybe she would fetch four cows. Legend has it that there was once a woman so beautiful and so charming that she cost her suitor five, the unfathomable price of five cows. There was an islander by the name of Sam Carew who had two daughters and he, he faced a dilemma. Nobody on the island considered his older daughter beautiful. And aware of that fact and, and the fact that she was painfully shy, Sam had given up on the idea of getting three cows for her. He was willing to settle for two or, or even one. And truth be told, if, if the man who came asking for her hand in marriage was a good man and would treat her well, Sam was willing to let her marry without receiving anything in return. Sam took great comfort in knowing that his younger daughter was definitely a three-cow kind of girl. There was a wealthy landowner by the name of Johnny Lingo who came to make a call on Sam. Sam knew that Johnny was, was ready to settle down, and so he assumed he had come to call on the younger daughter. But to his surprise, Johnny was there asking for the hand of marriage of the older daughter. Sam suddenly got excited. Maybe I will get three cows for her hand in marriage. Can you imagine his surprise when Johnny brought ten cows for her hand in marriage? When that happy couple got back from their year-long honeymoon, everybody in the village was struck by the change that they saw in this young bride. She was strikingly beautiful, confident, self-assured, poised, and assured. 
They saw this change in her and they, they realized that Johnny had gotten a bargain in only paying 10 cows for her hand in marriage. See, Johnny saw this, this older daughter differently than her father did, than the other islanders did. Johnny looked beyond her outward appearance and saw the beauty of her heart and her character. He saw who she was, and, and as, as he loved her that way, as he showed her true value, she began to understand her true worth. The moment he paid ten cows for her hand in marriage, she became a ten-cow wife. You know, we each need someone, and it could be just one person, who sees the value that God has placed inside of us, right? I know that some of us are, are self-assured and confident, but many are not. Many of us need the reminder of what God sees in us, what God has placed in us. We ask those questions, do I have what it takes? Am I important to anyone? Am I going to be a success? And we need someone who will come along and see that value in us and, if necessary, draw it out of us so we might live into what God has made us to be. I think that's something we can take from our passage this morning because we are all called to do that. We are all called to see the value in the people around us and, if necessary, draw it out of them. We are all called to be the Jonathan in the lives of the people that God has brought into our life. See, God has placed incredible value into each of his children's lives. It's a value so high that he was willing to send his one and only son that anyone who would believe in his name shall not perish but have eternal life. God has placed incredible value in each one of our lives. Let's believe that and let's live into that reality. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you don't look at the outside. Lord, you look at what is inside. You look at our, our heart. You look at our, our character. You look at us, how you have made us, and you say, you are my beloved. I have planned great things for you to do. Together we will be a great success. Thank you for that reminder that we might walk out of here today knowing that we are beloved, deeply beloved by the one who made us. And then, Lord, may we look differently at the people we come across this week. May we see them through your eyes. May we look beyond the externals into their heart and their character and be like Jonathan to them, helping to point out how wonderfully, magnificently God has made them. Help us to draw that out of them so they might live into the life that you have given to them. Lord, use us. Use us powerfully that your kingdom might grow in one person at a time. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.